Welcome to the Empath and the Narcissist Podcast, where you regain your sparkle back after narcissistic abuse. I am your host, Raven Scott, a trauma-informed spiritual mentor, certified meditation teacher, and human design expert. I'm empowering empaths in recovery and healing from narcissistic abuse, childhood trauma through human design, self-care, mindfulness advice, and expert interviews. Subscribe now. This is season five, episode 68. Forgiving the toxic people we may have labeled narcissists last year. This is a guest spot on a beautiful friend and guest on our podcast, Jessie Agadani. You can listen to her episode on the podcast. Episode 26, Healing Highly Sensitive Empaths Guts from Narcissistic Abuse with Human Design and a Plan. Jessie is a health conscious healer, helping you all things health, even to the products you put on your body and the food you put in your mouth and healing your gut, as well as using your human design chart to know what best is your digestion and how to nurture that. So this is a conversation today that I had on her podcast, the Naturally Sensitive Podcast, and my sharing more about how human design heals and evolves us through our healing process from narcissistic abuse. So let's dive in. Raven, it is so good to have you on the podcast. I am honestly, I've been thinking about this conversation all week, so I'm really excited (laughs) to get rolling. Thank you for having me. It's so good to be here. Oh, and we just discovered that we're both actually in California. I realized you were just up the road for me. So I love that. I feel like we're on the same plane right now. The same sun is shining on us. <laughs> it is. It is. It's so nice. It's a bit dry and windy here, up a little bit more north, but yeah, yeah nice. we need the sun. It's been so wet, which we need the wet. Uh huh. But it's like I'm looking at my yard and I'm like, we need to dry out and then have rain again. Dry out. Like, stop just downpouring all this water on us. I know. As poor Californians, we suffer. Oh, Our weather God. is, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and we're not complaining. So I'm not no, going to say we're not like complaining. That. We're just being particular. <laughs> yes, just feeling the energies of what needs to happen. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Raven. So... I have so many wonderful questions for you. You are such a woman of wisdom, and I want to really glean from you what we can in this time. So right off the bat, I want to have you kind of define for us, since you are an expert in this area, both experientially and now even helping others, how do you define an empath and how do you define a narcissist? Mm, I love that question. Because everyone always just asks about the narcissist, but I think it's important to ask about the empath. I think the empath, as you shared on my podcast, is highly sensitive people. And I think we all are empaths. I think we're all born empaths. And the empath is like a connection to our soul. Like it's a connection to the energies and to divine. And there can be an unhealthy balance of empathy, just as there can be an unhealthy balance of ego. And that's just so funny that this is coming up and you asked me because uh, yesterday I recorded an episode for a few weeks out for my podcast about narcissists and echo. And 
my podcast is called Empath and the Narcissist. So I was like, this is like the main theme of everything, right? So the empath is that who is highly sensitive, but if they're caught in this unhealthy part of their empathy, where they're absorbing everything, they're absorbing everyone's pain, they're trying to fix everything, they're ignoring their trauma and not healing and transmuting it, right? All of the things we all have to work on as humans, right? I think that's why we're all empaths. Then you start to lose yourself. And that's exactly what happens when you're in a relationship with a narcissist. Because a narcissist is the opposite, in a sense. They're also empaths, right? They're also born empaths, but their life path went a different direction. Maybe they weren't conditioned to be as caring and empathic to others. Maybe they weren't even taught to be nice to others. It's all about just survival, almost like throwing them out to the wolves. Like there are some people who experience life like that. And that can turn out to be the path where they take that overego. And a narcissist, by definition, and NPD diagnosed is overly exaggerated sense of self, an ego, grandiose mindset, they lack empathy for others, and they only, a little caveat, they only turn on the empathy when they want something. So it's a, it's a, a transactional exchange. It's not a true empathic, I care about you, I feel your soul, I see you, I want you to be happy and well like an empath would do. They're like, oh, I need this. So let me turn on my empathy talent here because we all develop that and they use it for their own selfish receiving. Yeah, it's interesting. And I love that myth about narcissists and echo about how, do you want me to kind of go yeah, into that? go into that a little bit. So the term narcissist came from Narcissus, uh, ancient Greek myth. And he was obsessed with himself. <laughs> he was obsessed with his reflection. And he actually wasted away and died because he couldn't remove himself from looking at his reflection in the water. He couldn't even drink the water because he didn't want to disturb the image. So it's like the symbolism of just focusing solely on the self and like the outward appearance versus really focusing on the inwardness. And which is also an interesting parallel between the victim of a narcissist is that you're kind of doing the same thing. You're focusing on finding love outside yourself. And the, the narcissist is really good at feeding that to you, kind of create a trauma bond. And then you're hooked. And then you think that their act is really them. And you hold on to that false hope, which is Echo. She fell in love with narcissists and she just lost herself. And then when he died, because he was looking at his reflection and not drinking the water like an idiot, <laughs> she wasted away as well. And all that was left was her voice. And Hera cursed her. Right. She's called Echo. Hera, the goddess Hera, cursed her so that she could only say whatever someone said. She could only echo. She had no words of herself, which is what happens to the empath who is trying to fix and help and heal someone who doesn't want to be healed and just always just like losing themselves and only echoing. And then especially with the tactics with the narcissist, they gaslight you, meaning they start to turn blame and shame back on you if you try and hold them accountable. And it just becomes a spiral of, am I the narcissist, right? You're echoing everything that they're projecting onto you. 
And so this is why I love this myth. And it's really beautiful that I just recorded it yesterday and we're talking about it today on your podcast. That's amazing. Oh my gosh, there's so much I could, we could talk about just from that. <laughs> yes, I know. Like the last thing you just said was really interesting to me about how empaths can kind of echo back that am I a narcissist? Because the amount of times I've had my clients that are sensitive say, am I a narcissist? I've had so many people tell me I'm selfish. And I'm like, the very fact that you're asking that it shows that you're not because a true clinical narcissist wouldn't even ask that question. In fact, they'd be so horrified by that question. They wouldn't even go there, you know, so they would blow up in your face. Yeah, yes, that they too. would blow up in your face How and they you? would gaslight you and you'd be like, I can't believe I'm dealing with this BS. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. you've been saying this, but you're the narcissist. You're always doing this. And they would find all these false evidences that they actually happen, but it, they're twisting that evidence in a light where they're setting you up to think that you're a narcissist. Projection, projection, projection. Oh, yeah. So good. So maybe for empaths that are listening, <laughs> if you find yourself wondering if you're a narcissist based off someone else's labeling of you, make sure that that relationship isn't codependent and you're not in a relationship with a narcissist because that could be what's actually going on. Easier said than done. For sure. <laughs> One other thing that I find really interesting for those listening, I got to go on Raven's show and it was so special. We had a great conversation. So I highly recommend you listen to that too. But I shared that, you know, I have well, actually a couple people in my life, but one, you know, in my immediate life that others have labeled as a narcissist. And I told you, like, I've come to the place now where I choose not to label them if they don't receive the label. But, you know, there was that dynamic in our relationship. And uh, it's so tricky. <laughs> it is. And navigate. The ego can do that, too. You don't have to be a narcissist to shove off and skirt responsibility for your bad action. You can just be, I think we were joking. Can I say cuss words in your? Yeah. Oh, 100%. Like, okay. So we were joking on my podcast that, you know, like, why don't we just call them assholes? Like my husband was like, you know, and back in the day, we just called them assholes. Like they were not narcissists. This is like a new term and everyone's offended. You know, you call someone an asshole. You're like, ah, oh, whatever. Yeah, I am. But a narcissist, everyone's super offended. I even was processing and made a mistake of calling out my parents as narcissistic. Actually, I called them actual narcissists. And that was the 2022 phase of everyone calling yes. everyone a everyone narcissist. Everyone a narcissist, yeah. <laughs> Everyone's a narcissist. Because <laughs> we're trying to figure it out. We're trying to like process yeah. it and put the label mm -hmm. on to help the healing. But just like anger is part of the process of healing, so is labeling. And then as you become wiser and you really process and analyze it, you're like, hmm. I just think that they have limited emotional tools when which definitely narcissists okay. have too. But, you know, it's just you don't have yeah. to call everyone a narcissist. You can just say, wow, they really have limited tools and I feel for them. I'm sorry. And actually, um, oh, I can't remember his name. I was just listening. I love The Daily Stoic by Ryan Holiday. And he was talking about Marcus Aurelius. Mm hmm pretty much journaling about how he was surrounded by idiots and, you know, and he's always like being very meditative and very wise. And his grandfather wrote, uh, well, adopted grandfather wrote a meditation about, it sounded very Buddhist to me too. It was, you just feel sorry for them that they don't have the tools. 
You know, you don't write them off, especially if you're a leader or have some type of connection with them. Let's say they're your employees or you're coaching them or whatever it is. You don't write them off. You just hold space and understand and feel sorry that they don't want to embrace the tools that are readily available to them. Yeah. They're so focused on their pain and trauma. They shove it away and they shove it away and they blame and they project and really all they're doing they're just being a little toddler about dealing with their emotions and their trauma yeah absolutely I've always thought about it not always <laughs> that's not true recently in the last few years of just a lot of like we talk about this a lot on the podcast in that healing journey like you go from one extreme to the other right in order to especially if you are codependent empathic sensitive you kind of have to go the other extreme just to get out of these relationships and you experience the anger and the frustration. And yes, you do tend to like overlabel perhaps and and really get, you know, uh, intense about things. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just you have to remember that you're still in process. Like that's not the end game. The end game is to swing the pendulum back and back, back and forth until you reach that middle of balance to where there is understanding for everyone in all of their journey. And I know for me and my parents, like I've come to realize that every generation goes a little bit further. Every generation has their healing length and they do have a stopping point. You know, I'm going to have a stopping point. And if I have children, they'll look at me and be like, why couldn't you go further? I'm like, dude, do you know how far I came from? Like, this is (laughs) huge for me. And that's the job of the next generation is to criticize the others so that it continues to evolve. Yeah. And that's just progress, period. That's humanity. And I think it's hard. I can put myself as an empath in my parents' shoes and understand how that would be painful because it is. It is critique. It is judgment. And for them to feel like this is the farthest I can go. How dare you ask me to go further? You have no idea what I've been through, you know. But at the same time, like there needs to be that maturity of understanding that my child is meant to go further. And that's actually a blessing, you know. So there is, there's a lot of like messiness that can occur in those relationships. That's the hardest. The parent-child is the toughest for sure. I personally had to come to that growth mindset and just (laughs) settling on. I'm a Virgo. I'm very perfectionist. And I had a really beautiful, painful, yet beautiful conversation with my mother. And it was this, it was just this aha moment. Like every time I speak about trying to improve I'm not asking her to improve like to be perfect I'm just telling her what I need which is beyond her emotional tools that she's capable which I think a lot of us can relate to in our generation yeah and I just realized you know I have to accept what is I can't keep pushing her because when I'm pushing her and sharing with her what I need I'm actually pushing her away because every single time I'm triggering her fears I'm triggering her own self doubts you know, which can turn into a reaction that a narcissist would do, like the ego defense. So I get how people so easily can label others out of their reaction in their ego narcissist. It is very similar, but it's not true NPD unless it's turned against and is hurting you and it's being abusive. And I think also the term like she's abusing me is highly overused as well. <laughs> Last year, like really taking responsibility and tuning in, tuning into the tools, tuning into what you, maybe what you're doing. Are you pushing the buttons all the time? You know, mm-hmm. take That's a step so back good. and 
accept what is. And that was my biggest aha moment. Thankfully, well, towards the end of the year, <laughs> it took a while, but. Yeah, comes down to that. We all desire to control and we just choose to use different tools as empaths. We also can manipulate because we know exactly what everyone needs because that's our gifting. And so I really think like no one really likes to hear this, but we're all manipulators at some level. And so it's becoming aware of that and being honest with yourself and saying like, okay. And it's not always from a place of like, I want to control them, like, like a conscious. It's often a subconscious, right? Where you're just trying to protect yourself. You're scared. This is the safest way. It's also how you've been trained to be safe, right? Yeah. And then it's like meeting your needs. Also, there's this kind of a message that, well, you need to speak up and you need to share what you need to get what you want. And okay, that's great. But you may be going, oh my gosh, there's another revelation from a guest on my show. Um, her book is called Mother to Maiden. And I'm trying to remember her name. Her Instagram is Mary of Magdalene. That's not mm. her name. <laughs> and she was saying, you keep going to this old rickety shack store, right? To get what you need. You need love. You need compassion. You need time. Maybe that was my big thing. I wanted more time in my relationship with my parents. And they were always giving it to my sister and not me. And I didn't understand it. And she's like, but you keep going to this old rickety old shack asking for compassion and time and love. And, you know, the store owner says, it's been out of stock for a really long time. Like it's not here. And she's like, and sometimes it never was. We never carried it. So who's the crazy one continuing to go to that old rickety shack asking for that when it's never been there and it never will be. And that's when you just have to accept that. That's the key. And find it elsewhere, which really is finding it within yourself. Yeah, that's the key right there. Yeah, acceptance. Acceptance is like everything. <laughs> it is. Oh my gosh. It yeah. shifts everything. It really, it really does. does. And it creates peace when it's genuine, you know, peace within yourself. You can just witness your parents then from a place of healthy detachment, not disconnection, but healthy detachment. And that's also where forgiveness can roll in naturally, you know, unforced. And and you're right, like we do push our parents away um, <laughs> with our, you know, I know for me, I always joke that I didn't rebel as a child. I rebelled as an adult. Like I, <laughs> I was the totally. good girl, I was the nice girl. I, you know, did everything my parents wanted. And then I went to college and started uncovering what a healthy family should look like. I studied communications, persuasion, family relationships, all that. And I was like, oh, hold up. This is not how it's right. This is not how my family functions. And I went home and I told my parents so. I said, hey, this is apparently how you're supposed to run a family. Like what happened? And they were not okay with that. And I, <laughs> you know, for me, it was very traumatic the way they reacted. But also, if I flip the script, how traumatic for them to be like, we tried our best. And now you're coming back and telling us some professors saying that we like failed, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's painful. And you know what? They probably already have that fear. I remember always oh, yeah. my mom always saying like, I know I failed. I know I failed. It's like she already has that fear. Like she's already beaten herself up about it. And then to hear your child beat you up about it is like excruciating. Oh, man. Yeah. 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 I know. And this happens <laughs> too in romantic relationships. You're going to that person for something that you need to provide to yourself. 
And if you can't self-sustain, you know, and find your love, your acceptance without that romantic partner in your life, I mean, that's part of your journey of recognizing, am I codependent on this person? Am I codependent on this relationship? When I finally discovered what codependency was years ago, my therapist said, have you looked up the word codependent? And I was like, I'm not codependent. You're know talking about. <laughs> How dare <Right>? you? <laughs> my ego was like, no, 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 thank you. No, I don't know what you're talking about. And I looked it up and I read the book she recommended and I was like, oh, I am. And it was only like with this one romantic relationship that I had left with the narcissist. And then as the years progressed, I realized I was codependent in all my relationships because I wasn't ever finding that security and love within myself. Mm -hmm. Okay. I have to ask this question because this is something I've kind of like mold over in my head and I'd love your, your thoughts on it as well. I have this feeling or this belief that empathy can be, I see it as a skill and also an innate gifting. The way I define empath, and I'm not saying this is, you know, the definition, but the way I've always defined it is that someone that's an empath is someone that's born where empathy is unconscious. Like it's just there. You can't not give it. It's just, it just oozes out of you, uh, whether you're aware of it or not. Where someone, where quote unquote, a normal human that maybe isn't born with the gifting of empathy, it's a skill set that they can develop. So, like you said, a narcissist can technically develop empathy, but they only use the skill when they want something, right? So, what do you think of that, that definition? I like that definition. I mean, as I, I'm thinking through all the graphs that I've seen in the human design as you're asking that question, and I, <laughs> and I see the potentiality for empathy in all the different places, and it just depends. You know, like I've seen a graph that every single center was defined, and I was like, holy mother, the whole, every single center defined. Good luck with that one. <laughs> and so you're like, oh, well, that person's not empathetic at all. But I think you're right. It's like a human skill mm -hmm. to interact. And I think it's to survive, right? Because if you aren't at least a little bit empathetic, you're not going to be liked. People aren't going to feel warm and fuzzy about you. And then they won't want to feed you. They won't want to be friends. You get kicked out of the tribe, whatever it is. So I think it is definitely a developed survival mechanism. But I also feel like if I define empathy as a connection to divine source, then I guess that means everybody is technically an empath, but what percentage of sensitivity are they? Maybe the sensitivity is the part mm -hmm. where there's that moving scale. Yeah, mm -hmm. I like that. Yeah. It's so I love playing with language and definitions. And, you know, so what is that like empath mean to you? Like, what is that term? Because I feel like especially nowadays, all of these therapeutic terms that we have, people have broadened them or narrowed them. And so it's always important to kind of clarify what, what everyone feels about them. But I also just think it's fun to play with them and consider, you know, the meaning behind it, how it applies. And especially for us as sensitives, you know, we are kind of a bit of an odd group, you know, we're the aliens on the planet. And so we see things a little differently. And I think sometimes that gives us a beautiful outside perspective but also it can make things a little confusing because of how we see it. So thank yeah. you. Yeah. Okay. So before we go any further, I think our listeners need to hear your story. 
of mm. kind of how you came into this realm of being kind of a voice for those that are navigating narcissist relationships that have uncovered that they're codependent, that they're, you know, they have this maybe overactive empathy and how to find health again within that. Would you share your story with us? Absolutely. Yeah, I shared a bit of the story of like how I discovered that I was codependent and it was through (laughs) therapy. So I definitely always recommend, you know, speaking to a professional to kind of get that clarity and then you can do whatever path you want, you know, coaching with somebody, your self-discovery and all that. But I, just like you, I was the good girl. I was obedient. I was a straight A student, all the AP classes. I mean, I was smart, but mind you, it was also in a very traditional evangelical Christian private school. (laughs) So a lot of the curriculum was omitted. So that was my rebellion as I discovered at 18 about evolution. And actually, I was introduced to it by my ex who ended up being narcissistic. And he definitely was a conditioned narcissist. Like he acted just like his dad did. He had mommy issues, like all this stuff. But, you know, you don't see that on the outside right away because everyone puts on a really beautiful facade. And so he introduced me to evolution and the stars and astronomy. And I was like, I've been lied to my whole life. And so I just shifted saviors. The savior of Christianity was no longer something I could trust. And now I shifted saviors to this narcissist. And everything he said, I trusted because I was so grateful that he shared with me about the real world. Yeah. So I just fell into that. We were together for 10 years and I kept pushing it. I kept trying to fix him. I kept trying to fix us. I kept pushing it. I kept pleasing him, doing all the crazy things that he suggested that I do and I fix, which was always like very weird, not like go to therapy or read a book. It was like, um, you should buy some high heels. You should make sure your nails are always done. You should only eat salad, like all these very controlling, superficial, vain things which I received because admittedly, I was also vain and seeking approval outside of myself in the physical realm versus the spiritual realm. And I was very spiritual throughout my childhood and high school. I was that awkward chaplain and worship leader that no one wanted to date. (laughs) I'm familiar with that. Yes. (laughs) I was a total leader. I mean, even in my uh, church. So I had like school church and then I had church church. Mm -hmm. And in my church church, I was put in a role with adults like and I was still in high school and it was really inappropriate there was like weird chemistry going on with the other leader in the groups and stuff and but I was so mature and they're like oh she can do it she's a leader give it to her give it to Raven yeah been there (laughs) so then I switched and I went completely vain and I was like I'm gonna look the best and I'm gonna be successful on the outside get a career in corporate like right at the ripe age of 1920, I couldn't even drink, right? I wasn't technically old enough to be part of all the crowds with, again, all the older adults, but I felt successful. And so the, all those solutions that were so superficial that the narcissist could control in my life, I myself take responsibility that I accepted those. I was like, yeah, that sounds like the right solution. You'll love me more if I do that. And I just got deeper and deeper in the rabbit hole. I always call it the dark vortex of his control. And he actually grew deeper and deeper, like darker and darker. And I tried to move out. I would pack a bag. I did it seven times. Pack a bag, move out because of a horrible argument, because I was fed up with his always blaming me. And my intuition would kick in and say, this is not right. You should 
why are you here? You should go leave. You know, and I had friends that would tell me that the way he was treating me wasn't right. I just couldn't pull myself out because I was so codependent and trauma bonded, you know, until I think it was my eighth attempt. And I knew after this one argument, I had this aha moment trip and I came back and I immediately told him how much fun I had, like what a joy it was. I was just expressing my emotion and he didn't hear one bit. And immediately he just went in on how horrible those people are and and they're so this and judgy, judgy, judgy. And I was like, I'm not trying to sell you on them. I'm just sharing with you how I had a great time. And so I knew right there, I was like, boom, wake up moment. He's never going to listen or like care about how I feel ever, ever. And I had forced him to move in together. I thought that would fix it. I say forced because I kind of gave him ultimatums. Like I'm leaving. I'm not going to be with you anymore if we don't move in. Thought that would fix it. And now it's like, get married. Thought that would fix it. Thank God I didn't take the next step and be locked in with him for forever. So yeah, it was, it's been such a healing journey. And you can hear in my language, I'm taking responsibility for my part. I'm not the victim anymore, but this just is what it is, right? We just get ourselves stuck in this vortex, in this trap based on what we think is normal, how we were loved or what the narrative was in our head as children, right? The conditioning of especially in a very strict religion, do this, you know, you're already broken. You were born broken sinner. Do this and you'll be saved. Do this and that. It's like always very conditional. So that kind of narcissistic conditioning was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Totally. Like that's it. That's just like how Jesus told me to do this. Technically not the real Jesus would be turning over in his grave, hearing all the things that they say in church about what he talked about. I always call it Christian culture is how I yeah. come to define it. Because so I'm like, this isn't even what was originally. <laughs> yeah, Christian culture is really culty and powerful. And it is. What it's, it's amazingly <laughs> crazy how similar it is to Islam, right? Because all came from the same region. So it's like just taking a look at the different religious organizations. You're like, oh, it all came from a pure good place, right? This, I call him a ascended master, Jesus was an activist and it just kind of was taken by certain people and written and then rewritten and formed into whatever system they wanted and yeah it just shows that all of us are trying to get some agenda right especially the power we all have an agenda of what we're trying to get out of life get out of a relationship so i left that a attempt i had to sign a lease like i had to get something legal in place for me to get out because after this big argument I saw like physically saw this gray mist in my bedroom and I closed my eyes and I could see that dark black vortex like it was so clear to me wow it's like that was my awakening moment I was like I am like spiritually woke now I don't even know what that means I just know <laughs> I see this and I need to get out and yeah so I, I had to sign a lease to hold myself accountable to stay out. Yeah, that makes sense. And especially as <laughs> nice girls that <laughs> follow rules and it's helpful to have something because <laughs> that is one benefit of being codependent is that you're very responsible. So if you you use that to your benefit of like, I'm going to be responsible to this person now so I can't back out. That's that's brilliant. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, all the other times didn't work and he ignored me. It's not like he chased me. But I felt 
lost without him. I felt like something was missing in my life and it only took like a day or two and I would reach out and he would, you know, convince me that everything was all right. If you just do this, we'll be fine. Da, 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 da. So what was that like separating from him and how long did it take for you to really, uh, I know healing's a journey, but that big original kind of wound and connection, how long did it take to fully kind of cut that cord and recover? Oh, gosh. Yeah, probably 10 or nine years. And writing my book really helped after those nine years. I did so much throughout that time. I went to therapy. I started a therapeutic like horse business, which was horrible, like as far as money and body issues, like it totally broke me down. But it was very therapeutic to be in nature and with the horses. All of the different things I started listening to. Dr. Joe Dispenza, Gabby Bernstein, Jen Sincero. I just started listening to books because then recently thereafter, you know, I actually did the horse business with my husband. I met him a few weeks later and it was just such a miraculously like connection. It was divine. And there was still so much healing I had to do that it was a bumpy road in our relationship because I was so triggered all the time. I had PTSD and I would just break down and have these crazy just episodes things you know watching movies smells sounds driving through that old neighborhood it just really set me off and so there's all that that I had to heal from process and yeah it took me down this spiritual path of non-religion spiritual path of finding ways and modalities somatic healings and meditations and all the things, the visualization, the EFT tapping to heal. And then I, I wrote my book and it seemed to really like open up this door that I could really find peace and forgiveness and healing. And then now being able to speak about it, you know, starting a podcast. And I really didn't fully embrace speaking about it until last April. I avoided it, even though I wrote my book. I was like, oh, I'm just going to talk about intuition. <laughs> no, and the universe is like, no, that's not why you're here. You're supposed to be helping bring back sparkle to those who have been hurt by narcissism, which is a lot of us and even just toxic people and their egos that kind of manifest as narcissistic. So, yeah, it's been a journey, a really winding journey, but it's also been beautiful. Yeah, it sounds like it. It's, but isn't that the joy, though, of having... <laughs> having gone through something really hard to be able to, on the flip side, give that healing as a gift, you know, and to not have it mean nothing, to not have it just be this, well, that happened. Now I'm moving forward, I guess, you know, but to actually realize there was purpose in that, you know, because alongside that, I hear you were, whether we loved the environment that it happened in, you were curated as a leader. You were curated as someone that could, you know, present yourself, that could be in front of people. And then you were given this experience. You could even say you chose that experience, you know. And Right. I did choose it. <laughs> as you move through it, now you get to use all those skill sets to then share and to present and to offer it and to use, like, obviously language and words are a gift for you if you're a writer and a speaker, right? So to be able to process for that amount of time and then to verbalize it, to write it out is so powerful and also healing. I totally agree with you that 
it's one thing to kind of heal and process in your mind and in the quiet of your life. And it's another level and layer to then go public. <laughs> yeah. And it was a process. I had three different versions of the book. It took me like three years because I told my sister about it and she told my mother. And then my mom called crying, like, how could you air our dirty laundry? It's like all of yeah. her triggers and yeah. I was really hurt. And I was like, oh, I guess I won't write it. And then I just felt this such compulsion to not hold back and to write it. And it's so beautiful how, I mean, I was like, if I just can touch one person with this book, yeah, then that's the goal. That's it. And I've I've had so many reach out to me like while reading it saying I was reading your book and I felt so empowered. And one of them just the other day said, and then like that same moment I was served by my ex. And, you know, it was it's almost like like a net, like it's been a net for people to catch them as they're falling through these really difficult times. So it's really fulfilling and beautiful to hear that feedback and to know that my pain, like you said, is shining bright now like a diamond mm -hmm. helping others absolutely i just got chills <laughs> my yeah. incarnation cross is dominion so it took me a, quite a few years to figure out mm. what that meant i was like yeah. okay so dominion that. that's uh bernie sanders has dominion and i don't know why i keep going back to that but there was another classical what is it called when you're a classical music writer but not a writer mm. composer 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 mm -hmm. But he actually ended up organizing like the library of classical music. And wow. I was like, okay, what do I do with this? What does that mean? You've got a politician, you've got a musician, and then my North Node's in Gemini. And I was like, what does that mean? And, you know, I was like, which is all about words. Like you said, like the talent of words. And so that's why I fully embraced being an author, I fully embracing a podcaster, which I never in a kajillion years thought that that's actually a career, that you can do that. <laughs> and I have my bachelor's in arts and I did interior design. I felt like you have to actually do something. And yeah. And even to this day, my mom, she doesn't understand what I do. She's like, I don't know how you're doing that, but okay. <laughs> I feel like that's so common. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My sweet parents are like, yeah, we don't know our daughter. We don't even know who she is anymore. <laughs> uh, it's hard. Well, yeah. With the internet and the age yeah. of Aquarius, there's got all these different mm careers that they can't even fathom like I don't know what you're yeah. doing which is kind of cool and exciting so wait so tell us your human design real quick because you've been uh, referencing that yeah so my type is generator authority is pure I'm a 6-2 so I've got the role model leader right I was born and it's in my graph that I'm a leader two is the hermit so I'm always <laughs> retreating to write something or plan something it's funny. I always feel guilty about like doing really good at going live, like right to be there for my community. And then I retreat and I don't. And I'm like, oh, I should go live. No, I don't feel like it. I'm just going to hermit. I'm just going to work on my book. I'm just going to do this. But that's it. That's part of my design is preparing yeah. and mastering what I can bring to them when I come. So yeah, I can fully relate yeah. to that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fellow six too. And interesting. And I'm like envisioning your chart. What are your defined centers? All except for the root, solar plexus, and will. Okay. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. So it really sets me up for being scammed, which narcissists do well. You've got the That's pressure. True. You've got that right? open the ego. urgency. Yeah. 
yeah, the open ego. I love to always reference the ego as the will. Like anyone can sell me something. Someone can sell me ice, but I have a whole thing of ice because I feel like I need to like buy ice from them. Oh, you're right. I need it. Their agenda. <laughs> Horrible. Oh my gosh. Horrible. Yeah. Yeah. And of course the open solar plexus. You're very sensitive to emotions. Yeah. I am. And I was always labeled the one who exploded. Like I had the temper tantrums as a child because uh-huh. I was uh-huh. amplifying. Like let's mm-hmm. say we were all getting frustrated playing something when I was seven. Mm-hmm. Or whatever conflict or you know I don't you don't remember what happens when you're seven exactly <laughs> but I just remember being in a circle with my friends and then everyone on the block would hear the upset and it was from me and then I would get sent to my room because that's not appropriate and I I didn't really know how to manage that I was just amplifying the frustration with my voice which is defined yeah and being you know a natural or a highly sensitive person plus having an open solar plexus that's like really intense. <laughs> yeah because yeah you're you just are picking up on everyone's emotions and then where do you put that if you don't know how to as kids we don't have boundaries we don't know how to manage that we don't know the separation we see ourselves all merged right and that's beautiful but also really hard <laughs> at the same time yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I think my open root had that. It was part of the recipe of that too, right? The pressure to like figure out the solution right now. I see it in you too because I have an open root as well. And I have like a ton of defined gates. It's really interesting. I have a ton of defined gates in my open root, but it's open at the same time. So I really think it highlights and enhances the pressure. But I hear in you a lot of similarities of my own journey of just like rising to leadership, always being treated as an adult, even when you shouldn't have been and feeling the pressure of everyone being like, oh, we know that if you just give it attention, you'll be good at this. So can you just take this over, please? But we don't have the ability to sustain that, you know, so we would burn out and all that. At least you had a sacral. Goodness. Yeah, I'm jealous yeah, of yeah. that. I, had a sacral. <laughs> I know burnout takes a little longer for me with my sacral. But I was just talking to my social media manager who's helping me with all the stuff even beyond social media. And he's like, you need to post once a day, not twice a day or three times a day because you're going to burn out. And he's a projector. So I'm like, anything you say, I will take it. I will listen and probably take your advice. Yeah, good. (laughs) Good. That's funny. I just it's always something I've had. Meditation, I swear, is what really has helped me with my open root because I'm able to just calm down and breathe and be like, it's not all going to get done. And it's like that pressure to get that task done also. And I have children. So as I'm doing a task, especially editing a podcast, they're asking for food and this. And it's been a real exercise to just breathe and like put the mouse down and go get the snack. Like, it's going to be here when you come back. Like that open route really sucks <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> I hear that. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. I think, have you gotten into Gene Keys? I feel like you probably have a little bit. You I have Gene Keys? No, I, don't. I mean, I know Gene Keys, but yeah. I haven't dived deep into the Gene Keys. Ooh, I want to encourage you to do it. You'll probably get obsessed with it. I found what's really helpful with understanding my gates, right? Is that's what Gene Keys really is about. It's the different... Uh, the different lines. So I find it, well, not just the lines, but the gates and the lines. But when I was looking at my open route, 
really understanding the different gates in there and what they stood for, not just from a human design perspective, but from a Gene Keys perspective, it really helped me to kind of deepen my understanding of, wow, this is, you know, my world is health. So this is so huge. This is how, this is how I'm ruining my body. <laughs> Maybe ruining is a strong word. This is how I am, you know, running myself into the ground day after day after day. Like it's here. This is where it is. And so really it's so important to honor, you know, the need for rest. And I know even just this week, my husband's gone on a trip and I've actually let myself sleep in really late. I've just been kind of what I would have termed moving lazily before. I'm now like, no, I'm just kind of cruising. I'm normally not a cruiser. I'm kind of an intense person. <laughs> and so it's like, just it's been from a place of reflection of like, what happens if I just rest more? What happens if I just it's not even that I'm not doing things or I'm not moving, but I'm doing it from a place of rest and a lack of rush. Like as if I have like so much time, I have more time than I need to get these tasks done. The manner in which I do them is so different. And it feels, I almost feel foreign. Like it's this weird sensation where I, I can sense part of me that's like, ah, speed it up, you know, <laughs> come on, do more. You didn't do enough. And then this other side that's like an experimental, this is interesting. I feel really good. I wonder what would happen if I kept doing this. Would everything fall down? Would things not work out? Would money dry up? Would whatever, you know, all the primal fears that roll in. And everything I've been learning about Gene Keys and human design when it comes to the root is that it just, it's turned into this kind of mantra or statement of the more I rest, the healthier I become and the more like abundant my life is. And it's like this, Right now, it's a theory that I'm playing with, and it'll eventually turn into a belief and then eventually into a reality, right? But yeah, it's tough when you have that open route to really lean into that. Some people just, they're like, just take a nap. I'm like, you don't understand. <laughs> it's so hard for me. No, my mind is racing. How can I take a nap? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it yeah. reminds me of, I don't know if you've seen that Hamilton play, but it's like him writing profusely Hamilton, all of those bills for mm -hmm. the constitution he wrote like i don't know did he write 50 or plus he wrote like 80 percent of them amazing <laughs> yeah i'm like he must have had an open route <laughs> yeah <Sorry. laughs> going for it driver <laughs> yeah so sometimes if i do feel like i need to get something done that also encourages me like i'm doing it with a purpose i'm not just mm. like burning myself out so there's that positive and negative to it yeah oh so kind of getting back to empathy, what are some of the giftings? Like, let's talk about the positives that you've really started to nurture and honor and own now that you've kind of come out of being like, oh, no, I'm codependent. I'm an empath, seeing it almost like a negative thing and then healing and releasing and coming into a place of more balance of like, this is actually a gift. Like, what does that look like for you being in that state? Yeah. And honestly, this didn't really open up for me until I saw my chart and I knew exactly where my open doors were and exactly where my quote unquote weaknesses or failures, right? Every time I was sold into to sell something in an MLM, I always felt like a failure because I couldn't sell it. I was like, oh, actually, okay, that's my open wheel center. And I just had the back door swung wide open and they just came on in. And I was like, <laughs> I'll do that for you. Whatever. <laughs> You know, it's now I, I can still shine my light with the screen door closed 
or if I need to lock it, you know, close that door and lock it because I'm dealing with a narcissist. Like, lock it, lock it. Who cares what they think? Who cares what their reaction is? Pretty much the epiphany of don't give a shit was how I got over my unhealthy empathy to be able to apply my empathy to those who really needed it, right? Especially like my children and my husband, myself, right? My self-compassion. And then I have the capacity to help others who are reaching out to me in my coaching sessions, those who I read for. But yeah, that the boundaries, it's such a cliche, 2022 is huge talking about boundaries, but let's call it not a boundary, but the screen door or the back door, closing that and those specific particular areas as an empath is key to be able to shine your light out. You can't shine it if it's like just dimming, dimming because everyone's taking that energy. Yeah, you finally have a full bucket to give. (laughs) Yeah, and it has to be for the right people. And you can't, like, if there are people, here's my also my biggest lesson as an empath. If there are people constantly needing you and you get a little bit of a boost, like, oh, they need me and I can help them, that is another part of your ego tapping into the unhealthy empathy. And you step into these roles that are not meant for you. You can be kind and hold space and say, I'm here for you as a friend, but I can't, I'm really busy with my family, my work. I can't field calls from you every single day or every single weekend. And if you do need help from that, like find a number they can call. Maybe they need a hotline. Maybe they need a therapist. Like just refer them to someone who can aptly hold that role for them. I think as empaths, we take on all these roles that aren't ours thinking that we can do it because you probably can but at what cost right at what cost and usually when I do that the cost is my energy my anxiety like if they call and my stomach drops like you know that you've overextended your empathy when your stomach drops or you feel obligated to talk to them your roles have been meshed and the boundaries have been crossed and that's been overstepped. So yeah, just tuning into holding those boundaries. And usually I'll, I'll lose them as a friend because I've presented to something, them, like I'm here for you, I'm going to do this for you. And then I do it for a while. And then I'm like, oh, I can't do it now. Like, this is too much. And then they're like, well, this was my expectation of you. And since now you're not doing it, you're a bad person and I'm not going to talk to you anymore. And then I lose them totally as a friend. And they actually feel like they're losing me as a friend because I'm putting boundaries up, but they're just all or nothing kind of a situation. And it's really toxic. And I think it's going to it's going to be an interesting observation throughout this year. That being the main theme is like, how do we interact in our relationships and what roles are we taking on? Mm, so good. Yes, there's so many gold nuggets in everything you just said. I'm like <laughs> sitting back here going, Amen. <laughs> you write a whole book on Bridget. this. Ah, <laughs> uh, and I think that's like, gosh, even when I've now been going on podcasts and a lot of the questions I've been getting are about like, how do you create that inner circle? How do you hold that? How do you, because as sensitive souls, like our deepest desire is to love on people, is to care for people, is to, and even deeper than that is to save people from experiencing the pain we've experienced, right? That's really the core. And uh, I know for myself, 
but <laughs> that's not our job. That's not our job. Our souls all pick some type of struggle. Mm. And it's mm-hmm. it's their struggle. Their you could say it's their problem, but it's really their struggle they chose. And yes. you can't save them from their struggle. And that's the perspective that is new to me that I've taken on last year of just like, okay, what is free will truly? And I now I'm like, I think this started before we even came onto this planet. And if that's true, we chose our parents, we chose our life. Like that is a part of the journey. And whether it's conscious or unconscious, trying to rescue is actually like the worst thing you could possibly do. Like you're sabotaging. And it is a trauma response. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sabotage. yeah. yeah. It, it is actually a trauma response. It's unconscious. And so, again, going back to mindfulness, awareness, meditation will help you see your patterns. You'll be like, oh, I'm trying to save again. It's okay to be kind. It's okay to not give up hope on them. But to step into a role that shouldn't be yours, that's the biggest thing, right? You're not a therapist. You know, have you gone through? Like I was sometimes so I'm really wise, but have I gone through an actually professional therapist? No. So therefore, you need to speak to a therapist. You can't call me every weekend, every day if you have a problem. Mm-hmm. That's not my job. And I think the beauty of using a therapist, using a psychiatrist is money. I find that money is actually a really beautiful boundary. And even from a business perspective, I really started to use that very strongly, which has been a big journey for me. But as sensitive as empaths, we tend to really live in that nonprofit world, <laughs> like that mindset. I call it the nonprofit <laughs> mindset, where it's like, whether you're running a business or not, you act like a nonprofit where you're like, anyone that needs help, anyone that's vulnerable, anyone that's hurting, I can't, this is really what it is, I can't bear to watch you be hurt because then it hurts me because I'm leaning too much. I'm merging with you. So I'm in pain. So I need to solve your pain so that we're both out of pain, right? That's really what it is. Totally. But there's just this, you know, I'm free. Like, oh, well, if I'm not physically doing something right now, if I don't have something on my calendar blocked out, then I guess I'm available. But when you have someone that's a professional and you have to pay to see them, like that person is going to really consider, do I actually want to utilize this time. But if you're free, it's just there's this lack of inhibition. Like someone will just kind of use up your time with no awareness and no. And I want to say that it's half the time it's unconscious. They're not thinking about it. But when there's money involved, because most people, that's a high value. It's like this, all of a sudden it's in their awareness of like, oh, I'm using this much time to talk about this issue. When money's not there, they're not thinking about that. They're just vomiting on you, right? So love that. It's helpful to redirect them to someone that will bring that to their awareness with the tool of money. (laughs) And there are social workers who, depending on, they have a scale system. I was very lucky. The therapist I found, she was a social worker and she only charged me $20 a session because I had the horse business and I was broke because they were all eating hay and I was eating hot dogs and they ate better than me. But I still invested the time. It was the parameters. Like, okay, I'm giving her, like, that's a lot of money for me right now. And plus, I know I only have an hour with her. So I was getting this beautiful visual as you were talking about that, that when someone's paying, it's like the therapist, social worker is reaching out a hand and pulling them up a step versus that free exchange, actually keeping that person 
in that like little cyclone whirlpool stuck down here because why would they ever get out? It feels really good to complain about it. It feels really good to talk about it. Yeah, it gives them that dopamine that they're being heard. But That's now really they've grabbed good. you down into the spiral cyclone and now you're both drowning. Yep. Oh, that's such a good image. I love that. I love that. It's so true. And to go to your point too, it's like, it's not about how much money. It's just, it could be a dollar, you know? Like yeah. It's just, it's literally that using money to be that awareness factor. And I use that in my health business as well. And it's not about the quantity. It's about the fact that it's even happening. It's an energy exchange. And there's something really powerful about saying, I am worthy of this 25 cents, whatever it is, you know, it doesn't have to be a ton of money, but I am worthy of this. And also, oh, I'm going to be conscious of this time now and be conscious of this person because this is something that needs to be done in this kind of setting where I do have to contribute, you know? I love that. And one other thought on the free thing is nothing's ever free, especially for you who is the giver. You're actually paying out your energy and god that's like way more valuable than money like your your energy is getting sucked and you you're not available for let's say you're on the phone with this person who's draining you or or you're in a relationship with someone who's constantly draining you waking up in the middle of the night like horrible narcissists do and like creating conflict you then don't have the capacity to be your highest self for yourself for your job especially for your kids and they deserve that no matter what, they deserve that you give them their all because there's just such a short time of window for that. Yeah, it's value systems too. Like what are your top values? It's if you know that, if you know these three things are what I'm here for, anything outside of that, you be cautious with. You really evaluate if it's something that you want to give your time and energy to. Yeah, it's and so it important. doesn't make you a bad person. Like nope. I question myself as I'm putting these boundaries up. It doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't make you a jerk. You can still be kind and send them love and light and actual warm wishes with boundaries. But I have a job I've got to work on. I have a husband. Like I have a whatever it is that you prioritizing that's important to you. That always comes first. And if that person is pushing those boundaries, you just with love and light, you know, I can't field your calls all the time. Yeah. And I think one other thing that we can talk real quick about too is I've seen a lot of, and I've seen this in my own life first and foremost, and then with others is this like, well, if the person isn't a narcissist, if there aren't any red flags, they're like a beautiful soul and a beautiful person, but I feel that obligation that you were just discussing. I feel like they're using my time, not out of meanness, like they're a wonderful person. In fact, I even admire them for some things, even there it can still not be a match, right? Yeah. And we all have a bit of narcissistic traits in us unconsciously that we're doing. It's called our ego. And if we're being unconscious about it because we're struggling with something, maybe you're struggling with or that person's struggling with whatever their soul's struggle is, right? Like then they want to seek help. And if you're an easy help, right? It's like, all of us humans will choose the path of least resistance. So yep. if you are the path of least resistance, they will always call you again. But what at what cost? And they don't have to be narcissist. They absolutely just can be someone who is needy. 
and but you need to guide them to the proper person yeah to help them with their neediness what would that conversation look like like how could you give us a little script act like if I was say I was you know some girl you met at some event and you're like wow we both really and we jived right off the bat you know we had this great conversation we seemed like we were on the same page then suddenly I'm kind of saying, hey, Raven, uh, let's get coffee. And I want to get coffee, like, can we get coffee like once a week? Can we like hang out for like, and then every time we get together, it's like a three hour conversation because we're deep souls, right? Of course, they would never give you that disclaimer. It would just be like, want to grab some coffee? They would never ever be like, oh, let's do this again. Once a week, let's sit here for three hours. That's something that you have to like pick up on the Mm nonverbal. And you won't even be able to pick it up on the nonverbal. It just all happens. It'll happen. And then so here's the lesson is the first time it happens and they're just going on and on and you start to feel like, okay, I got to go now. Like, I got to go now. Like, I have other things I need to do. And they're just, oh my gosh. And did you do that? And they keep talking. Oh my, I just love to talk to you. I want to talk to you all day long. It's like red flag, you know, and that's the conversation where, of course, you're human. You're an empath. You're going to go on the first coffee. I'm not going to say don't go on the first coffee because that might be a beautiful relationship with two mutually healthy people. You just never know. So that's the one part is like, be open still, but with like the brakes on in first gear, not fifth gear like us empaths like to do. (laughs) Stay in first gear. We're besties in 30 minutes. That's another red flag. Besties in 30 minutes. I mean, you can feel a connection like we do. Like we're having fun. We're talking. I mean, we're both not saying like, oh my gosh, like let's get together and let's talk for hours. And oh my gosh, we're besties now. Like. There's a fine line between respect, professionality. You know, it depends also where you're meeting them. If you're meeting them, I guess, in a bar, it's more casual. And if you're meeting them, like, say, for instance, on a podcast or at work, there's some professional boundaries there that you just can't cross. Like, so first step is knowing what your boundaries are, because that way you know what you'll allow to cross and what you won't. So the conversation would go, let's say, at the end, oh my gosh, this is so lovely. I need to go pick up my kids. Just make some excuse up if you don't have to, but you need to get out. Or if you don't have kids, you're like, oh, I have a deadline. I really need to get some work done. And it was so really so nice and lovely meeting with you. I'll call you, right? And then kind of put the ball in your court. And then it's okay if you don't call them for a couple weeks. I think that's healthy. But they will feel like, if again, if they're unhealthy and they're codependent, they will call you and reach out. And you can. If you feel your gut drop already, you don't have to feel the call. If you feel brave, go ahead, feel the call and say, I'm really busy. I'm so sorry. I can't talk. You know, let's try next week. And if it just kind of perpetuates, then that's when you're going to have to put up some boundaries and say, I really enjoyed our conversation the other day. I really wish you so much love and light, but I really have to focus right now on my work and my family. And you can leave it at that. You don't need to get any more specific. They should be able to receive that cue. And if not, you've already spoken to them about where your energies are now like really going to prioritize. And if they start to like blow up your text thread, right? <laughs> That's what ego loves to do is freak out and like send you 10 texts. Don't reply. Just take your time. Walk away. Take a deep breath. I would say go meditate because that's going to give you your soul's message you need to give them and say, I really wish you well. This is just 
taking up a lot of my time right now. Or I, I don't know. You get that sounds harsh, right? It's the impact. You're like, I wouldn't say that. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, <laughs> you know, I just really need to focus on blank right now. And I'll get back to you when, um, you know, when I'd love to reconnect. And that way it kind of gives you the power. It's got your boundaries. I mean, just think of it as a salesperson outside your door. You close the door. You say, thank you so much. I'm not interested. Close the door, right? So the I'm not an interested part in that relationship is I'm really focusing on this right now. And you close the door with love and light. You're not mad. I mean, of course, you'll be a little bit peeved because <laughs> you feel like you put yourself in that situation, right? You're going to start blaming yourself. But always, always you can with love and light because then you won't feel bad or guilty that you put that boundary up, you know, and it's their journey and it's their struggle. Yeah. We're not responsible for their reaction. That's the no. hardest one. No. That's the hardest one. Yeah. And that's where that don't give a shit kind of comes in. Like that helped me because I'd always be like, well, what if they say this or what if they feel this? And oh my gosh, like they're going to be so devastated. Like they'll probably just move on and find another easy path of least resistance. Honestly, that's a bit of your ego thinking that you're the only one that can save them. Oh, so good. Yes. Thank you for that reminder. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 I mean, yep. I've been reminded multiple times and I can't take credit for that one. My husband's always telling me that. He's like, you know, you can't save them. <laughs> you know? That's kind of arrogant of you to think that you can save them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Raven, this is so powerful. Thank you for sharing and just opening up. Are there any resources that you would send someone that's listening where this is kind of a new idea to them or someone that is progressing through that healing journey coming out of a narcissist relationship or even just codependency? Are there people, obviously your book is a wonderful resource. And reach out to me. I will share with you the link to where you can sign up to receive my audible version of my book for free right now for I have a limited amount of copies that I'm sharing. Yes. The free copy of my book. That's really going to get you started because it is how to overcome gaslighting. I weave my story and education about narcissism, about codependency and the manipulation. And as well as at the end of each chapter, I have a spiritual exercise. I weave in human design and astrology. And at the very last chapter, I have like a human design 101 chapter. So Amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. so many tools. <laughs> so many tools. So that's on Amazon. And if you want to listen to the free copy, click the link in the show notes to get that. Just fill in your email and then I'll send you a personal code through an email. Perfect. Okay. I have one last question. I always ask my guests. It's kind of a fun off the wall, but it gives us kind of another angle perspective of who you are. If you were a plant, so a flower, an herb, a tree, which one would capture your essence? I haven't really thought of that, but immediately, I don't even know if it's the right name. You know those purple flowers? I think it's the iris. Mm-hmm. Is that? I just thought of that. Mm-hmm. I yeah. visualized that when you said the purple Did flower. Mm-hmm. Purple, oh my God. So that's it. That's, mm-hmm. that's my soul flower. <laughs> I love that. Aww. Cool. I could see that. I love that question. I definitely consider myself a plant witch. I love plants. <laughs> you consider yourself a plant? <laughs> a plant witch. A plant oh, a plant witch. witch. <laughs> like I am absolutely a plant. <laughs> In my next life, please may I be a plant. <laughs> That'd be a nice life. Much, Yeah, much more simple. <laughs> much less complex. 
Oh, well, thank you so much for sharing, Raven. I appreciate it. And just for the final one, where can people follow you? Talk to us about your podcast, your social media. How can they connect with you? Yeah, my website is ravenscott.show. And anywhere you can find me and to connect with me is there. I love to be on Instagram. My podcast is called Empath and the Narcissist. My handle on Instagram is Raven Scott Show. And I just joined TikTok. So if you want to find me on TikTok, ravenscott.show over there. Nice. <laughs> Dragging my feet. I love TikTok. it. I feel like an old lady. <laughs> oh, no. You're, you're going to be great at it. I feel like generators are like made for TikTok. That's perfect. <laughs> put all your energy there. (laughs) Well, thank you, Raven. It was such an honor to have you on today. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure talking with you. If you enjoyed Jessie's energy as much as I did, head on over and subscribe and follow her podcast, Naturally Sensitive. It is providing so much regarding health and being a highly sensitive empath in life and finding the tools and calm and really owning who you are. By the way, she is a manifester type in her human design, 6-2, I think we revealed in the beginning of the episode, but she just is bringing so much power and change into the realm of us identifying as empaths. So definitely don't want to miss following her podcast. You know, navigating the triggers and the stress and the PTSD after trauma and after narcissistic abuse, it's especially challenging. It's a challenging journey. And I personally can attest that I have gone through this. Your well-being is the utmost importance for your healing journey, for you, for your children. And I wanted to create a workshop for you based off of an experience I recently had that I've created this healing process for myself to somatically clear out all of the stress from the triggers within my own body. So here are the deets on this workshop I've just created. It is somatic healing and it involves reconnecting with your body to release the stored tension, emotions, and trauma. I will guide you through exercises and techniques to help you ground yourself to manage your stress and to reclaim a sense of control over your well-being and energy. 
you don't want to miss this opportunity to grab this free workshop and to take charge of your healing process. You will get somatic healing exercises that you'll have in your back pocket for all times, including somatic trauma release shaking, active aura breathing, reciting a releasing mantra, releasing from your hips, grounding meditation. I do an energetic sage cleansing ceremony and a powerful healing mantra to have for your protection and empowerment and to claim your power So join me and let's move towards a future filled with resilience, joy, and inner peace. Grab your seat today and get the video access to Releasing Triggers Somatic Healing Workshop today. The link is in the show notes.